There has been no bigger news in US-China business in recent weeks than that of TikTok, the Chinese social media platform which has become one of the world's most popular. TikTok has been under review since November 2019 by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, also known as CFIUS, over its acquisition of US video app Musical.ly in 2017, which paved the way for TikTok's entry into the US market. I'm Vincent Chow, a reporter at China Law & Practice and host of the China Law Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. With me today to discuss all things CFIUS-related are Jeremy Zucker and Darshak Dalakia, partners at Deckert based in Washington, D.C. Jeremy is co-chair of the firm's international trade and government regulation practice and has extensive experience advising on CFIUS reviews of foreign investment. Darshak is also an integral part of the CFIUS team at Deckert, having advised on many such reviews as well. In this episode, Jeremy and Darshak delve into the CFIUS review process and its implications for Chinese investors. We discuss the history of the CFIUS review, recent reforms bolstering its powers, the unusualness of the TikTok case, as well as concrete data showing the practical impact of CFIUS on outbound Chinese investment into the US. Jeremy, Darshak, welcome to the China Law Podcast. Thanks, Vincent. Thank you for having us, Vincent. Let's start with a quick overview of what CFIUS is and what it does exactly. Let's start with Jeremy. Sure. So the committee is an interagency committee of US government agencies. It's chaired by the Secretary of the Treasury on behalf of the Treasury Department, and many other U.S. government agencies participate. Some of them have national security and law enforcement responsibilities, like the Department of Defense, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Justice. Other agencies focus more on investment and trade, like the Department of Treasury, the Department of Commerce, and the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. They all come together to lend their perspectives to a review, and the intelligence community plays an informal but essential role as well. And CFIUS has broad powers. It can review foreign acquisitions of U.S. businesses and also foreign investments in U.S. businesses to determine the potential impact on national security. CFIUS has the authority to impose mitigation measures as a condition of clearing a transaction. CFIUS also can suspend a transaction and, where appropriate, recommend that the president block or unwind a transaction. This last option doesn't occur very often, although it has occurred a few times in recent years. Right. Certainly a very interagency effort. But what about the frequency of reviews? Is it is it the case that all foreign investments into the US have to be reviewed by CFIUS? No. In almost all cases, a review by the committee is voluntary. The parties to the transaction, whether it's an acquisition or an investment, determine for themselves that because of the nature of the target company's activities, which could involve what it does or who it does it with, which is to say perhaps they're working for U.S. government agencies directly, or they're working for private contractors, or their research is funded by U.S. government organizations, uh, that the subject matter is likely to be of interest to the government. And so it's better to go in in advance and hopefully receive clearance so that the parties can close the transaction with confidence. Uh, Since there's no time limit on CFIUS's jurisdiction to review a transaction, they can decide many years post-close that the transaction is of interest and come after the parties at that time seeking an opportunity to review, it's obviously uh, potentially quite damaging to the party that bought or invested in a company to learn many years later that it's going to have to exit its position. There have been some high-profile instances of this in the news this very week. Uh, We can certainly talk about them later on if you'd like, Vincent. Um, And as a result of recent changes to the law, there are now certain instances in which 
a filing with CFIUS is mandatory. And that, again, will turn on what the target company does. And if it does any number of certain things the U.S. government considers particularly sensitive, then they're going to want to see it. It also may turn on the identity of the foreign investor, and in particular, whether it is a foreign government or is a state-owned entity. But the vast majority of foreign investments into United States businesses do not get reported to CFIUS and do not get reviewed by CFIUS after the fact either. There are only a few hundred each year, and we can go into the facts and figures if you'd like, but clearly there are many thousands of investment transactions coming into the United States from abroad each year, and only a small portion are sent to CFIUS for its review. I guess the case you're alluding to that has certainly dominated headlines recent weeks is the TikTok controversy, at the center of which is an ongoing CFIUS review, which looks like it could lead to the Chinese app being forced out of the US market or being sold to Microsoft. So I'm sure we'll get to that a bit more later. But first, let's look at some concrete statistics and figures. We're quite lucky in that just in the last couple of months, we've seen two pretty comprehensive annual reports released by CFIUS covering its work in 2018 and 2019. So let me bring in Darshak here. What are the main takeaways for Chinese businesses and investors from these reports, do you think? Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's notable that CFIUS released uh, two reports uh, covering 2018 and 2019 in the span of a couple of months. The, the 2018 report was released in May and the 2019 report was released uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And so it's useful to look at those two together uh, because they, they cover the time period when most of the significant CFIUS reforms have been implemented. Part of that was done in 2018, more in 2019, and as we'll discuss a little bit later, even more changes are sort of coming during 2020. I think the most, the first line takeaway is that the number of transactions that have been reviewed by CFIUS has remained fairly consistent, and there hasn't been a notable change, either increase or decrease uh, in the last couple of years. But where we have seen a pretty significant shift is with respect to uh, covered transactions that were reviewed by CFIUS involving Chinese acquirers. Um, For the last, in 2017 and 2018, it was about 60 or 55 transactions reviewed by CFIUS. Uh, but in 2019, that number dropped to only 25 uh, transactions, uh, suggesting that you know, Chinese inbound investment was lower uh, than it had been previously, uh, therefore leading in fewer transactions that CFIUS uh, would review. And you know, it's, it's obviously only one year data. You know, 2018 was the same as it had been. So it's, it's difficult to predict if this is a one-time oddity or if it's you know, a sign of things to come. Uh, but that certainly is a notable takeaway that you know, China, for the first time in many years, was no longer the leading country for which Sipius uh, was reviewing investments from, uh, that's now, they've now been overtaken by Japan. Right. And if we look at the numbers a little bit more, we see that the number of critical technology acquisitions from China has dropped from eight to three um, from 2018 to 2019, whereas Japan has gone up from nine to 20. This is, of course, a very important category of transactions because critical technology is one of, if not the main issue at the core of the US-China rivalry. So how significant do you think this drop is? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I think we'll have to see. I think it'll be interesting to see what next year's data is as well. Certainly, most of the at least publicly notified transactions that have uh, received CFIUS scrutiny and CFIUS has either you know, killed the deal uh, through onerous mitigation measures or the President, President Trump has recommended a blocking of the deal. Those almost overwhelmingly have involved uh, critical technologies, though so I think respect to sort of TikTok and a couple of others, uh, sensitive personal data is also a growing concern for Chinese investment. But it's certainly clear that Chinese investment in U.S. critical technologies companies have received scrutiny, and it seems like there could be a bit of a chilling effect on Chinese investments in those sectors. 
but I think some of it might just be acquirers who are investors, acquirers or investors who are trying to exactly figure out what do these reforms mean and how can they impact our deal. Right. And so what does the report say about mitigation measures, which is a key component of these reviews? So for a Chinese investor, mitigation might be something that they're very fearful of because, well, it could it could mean that CFIUS is requiring them to change the structure of their transactions, for example. But it could also be a bit of a silver lining because it might mean that a transaction isn't blocked entirely. So Jeremy, what do the reports tell us about mitigation? Vincent, I think in your introduction to the question, you, you captured some of the key considerations very nicely. Um, we certainly have many clients, Chinese and otherwise, who are concerned that the mitigation that CFIUS will require of them will fundamentally alter the value proposition of the transaction they have in mind. At the same time, we often find that at the back end of the process, our clients are happy to accept the mitigation rather than have their deal blocked entirely. And that's that's setting a low bar, admittedly, but it's often because they find that the mitigation the US government insists upon is actually not all that burdensome. Uh, certainly, it can be in certain instances. Um, with respect to the data, both in 2018 and in 2019, uh, we saw mitigation requirements at approximately 10%. I think it was 12% in one year, 13% in the other. That's to say the number of transactions where mitigation measures were required what was at that level. Um, so 2018, 2019 at roughly the same level, but that's approximately double the level of mitigation we saw required in 2017. In addition, we know that a number of deals that were abandoned were abandoned not because the parties for other reasons decided not to pursue them, but because the mitigation that CIFIA sought to impose as a condition of granting clearance was deemed to be too much. Um, and so the parties abandoned the deal rather than take the deal with the conditions imposed. We often work with our clients uh, well in advance of going in front of CFIUS to anticipate whether CFIUS might require mitigation, and if so, of what kind. And there's different mitigation measures available depending upon the sorts of vulnerabilities and threats that CFIUS perceives on behalf of the target and the foreign acquirer or investor. And you know, in the instance of sensitive data, for example, questions will arise as to who has access to that data. Where will the data reside? Literally, where are the servers? If U.S. law enforcement ever wanted access to information and wanted to be able to serve a subpoena to require the company to comply, they wouldn't want to hear that the data is no longer in the United States because it's stored in a home country overseas. That's certainly not unique to a Chinese investor. Um, there might also be issues with respect to the citizenship of people in certain positions uh, for certain facilities. Uh, the U.S. government might think it's important to have U.S. citizens only in those positions not just because of perhaps perceptions of loyalty, but also because, again, if the U.S. government were to want, for example, access to a facility, they'd want to know that the people in charge of making that decision are U.S. citizens. And there are many other mitigation measures. There's a wide menu of measures. Um, there's no fixed menu, of course. CFIUS and its member agencies look at each situation on its own and decide whether they think any mitigation is necessary, and, and if so, what's necessary to meet the national security concerns they perceive are present in the deal. I'd like to look at that point of sensitive data more, because it is one of the reported concerns that the US government has with TikTok. If we read the statements coming out of TikTok, they'll repeat again and again that they comply fully with US laws and regulations and do not in fact send sensitive data of US citizens back to China. 
But these arguments seem to have been in vain, as just last week we saw President Trump introduce an executive order banning TikTok within 45 days, something that seemed largely separate from the CFIUS review itself. So although we don't know for certain what TikTok CFIUS review result was um, because of the confidentiality of CFIUS reviews, it's highly likely that CFIUS has concluded that TikTok must divest completely from its acquisition of, the, uh, of Musical.ly um, in 2017, which gave it access to the US market. So this also explains why there are ongoing talks from Microsoft to take over TikTok's business in the US. Um, and so what I want to know is whether the conversation surrounding mitigation with CFIUS is more based on technical, uh, technical analysis, or does it turn more on argument and persuasion? Um, in TikTok's case, it seems to have failed to convince Kif- uh, CFIUS that it can mitigate away those problems surrounding its data collection and storage practices. Can you explain how technical the mitigation process is, especially when the key concern relates to collection of sensitive data of US citizens? I'd prefer not to speak to the TikTok deal in particular, but we can certainly speak about the issues it raises in general. And we've been in front of CFIUS with respect to multiple transactions where access to sensitive personal data was the key concern. And without a doubt, the US government brings expertise to the table. It's not just political leadership that sits in judgment here. There are permanent government employees who are part of a a, a larger staff who don't change from one administration to another, who bring their own particular expertise, whether it has to do with cybersecurity or any of a number of other issues. And in the overwhelming majority of cases, CFIUS processes occur outside of the public eye. CFIUS by law and regulation does not discuss the transactions it is reviewing. It does not even acknowledge the existence of a review. And so typically, um, we know the transactions that we're involved in. We might not know of other transactions currently undergoing CFIUS review unless the parties to that transaction have disclosed it. What's unusual about the TikTok matter is that it has played out so publicly and that senior American political figures have spoken about it even as the review is ongoing. I'll say I find that to be extremely disappointing because it's bad for CFIUS's reputation. And if CFIUS cannot be relied upon to perform an apolitical review on the merits, that is necessarily going to be a deterrent to at least some foreign investors. And I think that's unfortunate. So I don't think that's going to be the norm. I think, unfortunately, that company has fallen into the middle of a larger flare-up in US-China relations that is on the whole, regrettable. And I would hasten to add that while all this is going on on the front pages of the papers, we are representing many investors in front of CFIUS, ongoing CFIUS reviews that have not been publicized at all, including on behalf of Chinese clients. So we would not want any Chinese investors thinking about an investment in the United States to think that they will necessarily end up being discussed by the president in the press. So let's talk a bit about those reforms to CFIUS then, uh, which really are crucial to understanding a lot of what is happening today. Um, And the big change, of course, happened in 2018 in the form of the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act, also known as FIRMA. So Darshak, let me bring you you in here. Um, So what were the main changes that FIRMA introduced and how have these played out in the two years since at a practical level? I think it's... uh it's helpful to take a, a brief step back. And so CFIUS was formed in 1975. Uh, and at the time, it was a pretty passive agency. Uh, its powers were limited to like, reviewing foreign investment, more for, uh, for preparation of reports and assessment of potential risks, 
but they didn't actually have any powers to block or unwind transactions. Um, in 1988, uh, Congress passed the Exxon Florio Amendment, uh, which gave CFIUS its actual powers. It gave it teeth. And that allowed CFIUS to unwind or block or impose mitigation measures on the types of deals where non-U.S. persons were acquiring control over U.S. business. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because at the time, in the 80s, uh, that, that amendment was motivated by perceived threats from Japan uh, that you know, they were poaching off the U.S. companies, particularly U.S. Uh, like Fujitsu and other type of Fairchild, Fairchild Semiconductors and other types of high electronics companies. And so now in 2018, instead of Japan being the perceived threat, uh, China and other countries, but primarily China, uh, was viewed as the primary threat both by CFIUS and Congress. So FIRMA was passed in August 2018, and it gave essentially 18 months to implement the whole host of reforms that it uh, that it that, that were going to be made pursuant to FIRMA. And the, the main takeaway is that it broadened CFIUS's jurisdiction not only over transactions that involve acquisition of control by foreign investors, but also certain non-controlling investors investments where investors might receive sensitive data of, of individuals or Critical access to information about critical technologies. Uh, it also called for heightened scrutiny of certain transactions involving foreign government-controlled investors. Uh, so it, it sort of applied formally a higher level of review for those types of transactions as opposed to a, a non-government-controlled foreign investor. Vincent, I think it's worth reinforcing a bit of the historical point Darshak was making that um, you know firma, as you mentioned, became law in the middle of 2018. But it, of course, reflected a multi-year process of discussion and debate, not only in Congress, but also across the agencies of the presidential administration. And that did not start with President Trump's administration. That began with the Obama administration. And really what kicked it off was the publication of the Made in China 2025 program by the Chinese government in 2015. And you know, when you think about it at a high level, uh, to declare that you want your country's economy to become self-sufficient in certain critical areas seems certainly understandable. Um, unfortunately, that program taken together with a number of other activities that the U.S. government has alleged consistently are ongoing. Uh, there are many in the U.S. government who took that declaration about Made in China 2025 more as a declaration of war. Uh, war by other means, that we'll, we'll buy what we can and we will steal the rest. And so this discussion about how to properly frame CFIUS's jurisdiction has been caught up in a larger discussion about cybersecurity, about IP theft, about uh, the resilience of American critical infrastructure, about the sufficiency of a national industrial base. And so it has really widened the scope it's opened the aperture of that lens. So it's now more confusing than it used to be. The concept of sort of national economic goals and national security goals, they've become far more muddied than they used to be. And then with respect to this presidential administration, unfortunately, I think they have taken steps to muddy these concepts even further. We've seen this administration, in particular with respect to certain Chinese companies, take actions that seem to suggest that national security can be viewed as another commodity, a, a chip to be traded. And we've seen some companies end up treated fairly poorly, uh, although at the same time, others ended up not treated very poorly for long because it was determined by the current administration to be advantageous to the general state of U.S.-China negotiations 
to ease up on one or another Chinese companies that the Chinese government made clear uh, it cared a lot about. So it's it's a complicated moment to be sure, both in U.S.-China relations and in trying to navigate effective CFIUS strategies. If we look at Chinese investment in particular, are there common themes that we can draw out from the data, public reports, or perhaps um, your own experience in regards to the concerns that the U.S. government has uh, with Chinese investment? I think traditionally the, uh, the semiconductor industry has been a focus of CFIUS for a number of years, uh, and the firm increases that scrutiny. Uh, but in general, if you look at a lot of the deals that Jeremy mentioned that you know, had been either affirmatively blocked or CFIUS had you know, indirectly uh, killed the deal by requiring some uh, onerous mitigation measure, uh, those typically have involved electronics companies. Not to say Chinese investment in those sectors is impossible, but there have been other deals with China connections that have gone through. But it tends to be a high area of focus. And I think more recently, we're seeing more attention being paid to uh, acquisitions that could involve Chinese access to U.S. citizens' personal data, uh, such as you know, TikTok, as we've discussed, but also the Stay in Touch is another deal that was blocked by CFIUS in March, uh, blocked by the president at CFIUS's recommendation in March. And the concern there was that you know, Stay in Touch provided cloud-based uh, software for hotels that U.S. that U.S. and other guests could use to check in and it would give you location information and other types of personal information. And the concern there was that if China has access to that type of data, that sensitive personal data of U.S. citizens, it could be weaponized in a negative way. So again, traditionally, very much focused on semiconductor and other high technology type industries, uh, but increasingly there's a growing focus on sensitive personal data as well. Right, and I, I guess the natural question here then is, is it impossible for a Chinese investor or a company to invest in the U.S. in the current complicated moment? No, it is not impossible. Okay, and so what are the key considerations then that a Chinese investor should bear in mind if they want to do so successfully today? I think the most important thing for the Chinese investor to do is to try to put itself in the shoes of the U.S. government officials who will review the investment and try to think, if I were to assume the worst, how could I counteract those assumptions? For example. Am I an operating entity in the same industry as the target? Is there an obvious fit between us and them? Does this investment clearly make commercial sense on its face? Or by contrast, am I really just a pot of money with unknown ultimate beneficial ownership about whom the worst, most negative assumptions might be made that I would need then to counteract? And what are my own relations to my home country government? or to companies that are owned by that government? To what extent do I do business in other countries that are also a source of tension with the United States, countries that are subject to US sanctions like Iran, for example? It's certainly not against the law for Chinese companies to transact with Iran, but that's not something that the US government is going to like to see. Um, so to the extent that a Chinese investor working with us can identify the likely sources of concern, and then speak to them directly in a CFIUS filing, which again, in almost all instances is submitted on a voluntary basis. It gives you the opportunity to hold the pen and to tell the story you want to tell, not just the happiest version of the story, but the version that says, we anticipate you're probably concerned about the following thing. Let us explain. And in our experience, CFIUS appreciates that sort of mature and considered approach and appreciates raising issues for them and not waiting to be asked. 
Uh, and they may well, and often do, come back with follow-up questions, which you should be prepared to answer. Uh, but again, we're representing Chinese investors in front of CFIUS right now, and we certainly are not under the impression that those investments are doomed. What do you think about how the current climate affects a decision by Chinese investors about whether to file or not for a review with CFIUS? Because uh, certainly there's the growing accusation that the U.S. government basically sees all Chinese companies as deeply tied to the Chinese government these days. Well, the decision about whether to file at all necessarily turns on which Chinese investor we're talking about and also who the target of the investment is. If you're buying a toy store, you can feel fairly confident about not filing, even if you're Chinese. And if, by contrast, you're buying a company that's involved in geospatial mapping of the Earth, then you should probably file no matter where you're from. And obviously, the interesting decisions are somewhere in the middle along that spectrum. I would say that in the present moment, it is certainly a more conservative, safer approach to file. Uh, one of the many uh, reforms of CFIUS following from FIRMA is a vast expansion of CFIUS's budget, a substantial portion of which is dedicated to the creation of a new office that has as its purpose not reviewing transactions that are submitted to it, but looking for transactions that were not submitted both current transactions and historical transactions, to see whether just from the information that is publicly available, it's the sort of transaction that CFIUS would have wanted to see. And on that basis, they might reach out to transaction parties and request a submission now. We have a number of clients who are in that posture right now. Uh, and CFIUS is reaching out to us to say, we understand this transaction closed two, three, four years ago. You didn't come to us. We'd like to know more about it. So there is more monitoring of the investment universe than ever. So a decision not to file and hope to sort of hide under the bushes is a riskier decision than it used to be. But if the goal is to be able to close the deal with confidence that the U.S. government won't interfere, then it's certainly wiser to seek that clearance on a pre-closed basis than to close and hide and hope that the government won't come looking for you later. Having said that, if there is a particular time crunch, it's also possible to close a deal while you're still in the middle of the CFIUS process. That's something that is delicate, but can be arranged. Although it does, of course, mean that risk remains that you're in the middle of negotiating potential mitigation measures, even as you're closing your deal, uh, you better be fairly confident that the, the extent of the potential mitigation won't be so great that you'll wish you never closed. And that analysis would, of course, apply to the TikTok cases. The ongoing CFIUS review today is about their acquisition of the US music app, Musical.ly, uh, which was in 2017. So the review now is come, uh, it came three years after the fact. Um, so from your perspective, what are the relevant lessons that a Chinese investor should take from the TikTok case? Um, we're always hesitant to speak about ongoing matters in, in which we are or might be playing a role. Um, so if I could speak about it in the generic, I would say one shouldn't draw too many lessons from this review, because as I said before, it's highly unusual for a review to be carried out so publicly and with the direct involvement of uh, the most senior politically elected officials in the country. The vast majority, by which I mean almost all of the many thousands of transactions that have been reviewed by CFIUS over the past 30 plus years, are conducted without that sort of involvement which is to say, rarely does a CFIUS review require the president's attention. And even more rarely does the president say anything uh, about it. 
So it would be unfortunate if your audience decided that from now on, any investment might be something that the president would use as part of a trade war and speak on television about, because that simply isn't representative of historical experience, nor is it representative of our recent experience. Again, the vast majority of transactions are handled almost exclusively by career government officials on their merits and are not politicized. Okay, great. Jeremy, anything else to add? No, nothing. Thanks very much for the chance to speak today. Thanks to Jeremy Zucker and Darshak Dalakia for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the China Law Podcast, a weekly discussion on China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. Make sure to check out our website, chinalawandpractice.com, to keep up to date with the latest US-China legal and business news through our in-depth analyses, including contributions from our network of leading lawyers and in-house counsel, as well as full access to a searchable database of English full translations of PRC legislation going back 33 years. Trials are available, so do get in touch if you'd like one. We'll be back next week with another episode. Stay tuned and thanks again for listening.